name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. There can be a variety of strategies to accomplish the same given task. One community was suffering from an infestation of squirrels, and they seemed to be bugging churches in particular, and so each church came up with their own strategy on how to get rid of them. The Presbyterian church down the road, they met and they prayed about it, and after much consideration, they decided that the squirrels were predestined to be there, and so they should not interfere with God's will, so they just left them. The Baptist church noticed that the squirrels were gravitating to the baptistry, and so they put a slide thinking they would drown the squirrels with the slide. What they didn't know was that squirrels innately can swim well, so they really enjoyed the uh, water slide, and uh, they just, twice as many squirrels showed up the following week. The Catholic church, they were very creative, and uh, they baptized the squirrels, and so they only came back at Christmas and Easter. But I tell you what, the Jewish synagogue got it right. They, uh, they circumcised the first squirrel and they never saw another one after that. <laughs> we, we've been talking about unity as a church and we've been saying that unity resides in a number of ways within the body of Christ. It resides in the spiritual blessings that are ours through the Lord Jesus. And then last week, if you were here or listened, we talked about how our unity comes about through our mission. In other words, as we're all on mission, as we all understand the mission, as we all live out the mission, then unity is going to be the outcome of that. And this morning I want to talk about strategy, and I want to say that there is unity in the strategy that Jesus has given us for maturing the body of Christ, for helping us become mature believers in a mature church. And he has given us a strategy to that end, and as kind of like with our mission, as we all embrace the strategy, then the outgrowth of living out the strategy of maturity that God has given us, as we live that out, what's going to happen is that we're going to discover, uh, we're just going to discover unity. And uh, so that's what I want to talk about this morning. So turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. You know, as I, as I spent some time this week in this book, I realized that I probably should have just taught through Ephesians, because Ephesians is a book about unity, and really a, a couple of our messages already have been about or from the book of Ephesians, and so I should have taught from that book, uh, I should have just taught the whole book, but we didn't. And, uh, but this morning I want to talk about, uh, about unity from chapter 4 and, and God's strategy for maturing us individually and for maturing us as, as a church. Now for context context sake and, and even for instruction's sake, we're going uh, to set a framework by starting with verse 1, but really the heart of the verses that I want to look at begin in verse 11 through verse 16. So we're going to start at verse 1, though. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 in your New Testaments, Ephesians 4 beginning with verse 1. It says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. This is Paul writing to, uh, to the church at Ephesus. He says, I urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul is writing this letter from his imprisonment in, uh, in Rome. 
And uh, he writes them, this church that he founded or that he was really instrumental in, in growing and, and developing early on, he writes them and he says, he says, men and women, he says, you need to live worthy of this call that God has on your life. In other words, what he's saying is that we have an obligation to live differently. We have an obligation to be different, those of us who follow Jesus, because God has called us to be his sons. If we go back to the first message a couple of weeks ago on unity, we said that some of the things that God has given us in Jesus have been things like he's given us uh, forgiveness, he's given us blamelessness, he's given us an inheritance to come, he's given us his spirit to walk with us and help us. So the question is because, or, or not the question, the statement is because of all that God has done for us in Jesus, we should live worthy of that. Now, the question is, how do I live worthy of that? Now, at, at least five things are given to us, and this is not the heart of the message, but I'm going to run through them anyway. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to live it out. This is what it looks like if you're going to follow Jesus and be like him. So there's five things he mentions here. Living worthy looks like this. You live humbly. He says uh, you are to live humbly before one another and before the Lord. Now, humility has always been a, a difficult thing, I think, to define, but it's something that I readily recognize. I see humility when I see it, right? I might have a hard time defining it, but I know it when I see it. But here's my attempt at defining it. Living humbly is when I'm willing to prefer other people and consider them even before myself. To not have to be first, recognized, or even have my way. It is releasing my rights to serve others. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus did for us. Jesus, in his humility, was willing to become one of us Okay, if what we believe is true, and it is, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, became a creature like us, so that, as we sang so well several times, he might save us from death. So he became like us, and then he endured death on our behalf. He died for us, so that we, though we die, yet shall we live again, right? So first, live humbly. Secondly, he says, live gently. Paul says, uh, to, to be gentle, I think, is the opposite of being harsh, or abrasive in your life. To be, uh, to be gentle renders me approachable and not scary. So if you want to live worthy of the Lord's call in your life, then be a gentle person. Be a, an approachable person. Uh, listen to what Jesus says about himself. I am gentle and humble of heart. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. He couples those two things and says, that is who I am. So if you want to be like him, you be gentle. You be humble. The third thing is live patiently, Paul says. Living, living a life worthy uh, of our calling is to live with patience and not be stressed about tomorrow, uh, refusing to get angry, accepting delays and trouble, even suffering without being disquieted on the inside, but being at peace on the inside, trusting Christ at every moment through all of that. I've told this story before, but a man observed a woman in a grocery store with her three-year-old daughter in the basket, and as he passed her in the cookie section, she wanted a cookie, and the mother said no, and the child threw a temper tantrum, and the mother said, now, Ellen, we just uh, have half the aisles left to go through. Don't be upset. It won't be long. So as he passed her again on another aisle, there was the candy aisle, and again, the same thing happened. She wanted candy, and she threw a temper tantrum, and again, the lady said, there, there, Ellen, don't cry. Only two more aisles to go, and then we'll be checking out. At the checkout, they were behind, he was behind this, couple, this, this lady and her daughter again, and again, this, 
the girl just threw a temper tantrum, wanting something at the aisle there. And, and again, you know, the mother said, Ellen, we'll, we'll be through the checkout in just about five minutes, and then we can go home, and you can have a nice nap. And the man was impressed with all of this. And so he followed her out. And when they were out in the parking lot, he says, ma'am, he wanted to compliment her. He says, I couldn't help but notice how patient you were with little Ellen. The mother broke in. My daughter's name is Tammy. I'm Ellen. <laughs> so here's, here's a question for you. What do living gently and living patiently have in common? They are the fruit of the Spirit. It's what ought to come out of us because we follow Jesus. You know, I, I'm going to say this over and over and over again this morning. Being a follower of Jesus is not something, it's not like a badge we wear. It, it's a person we follow, and we want to imitate him. We want to be like him. We want to look like him and act. I don't mean look like him physically. I mean look like him and how he behaves and how, what he did with what he did. We want to be like that. And, and Jesus was patient, and we want to be patient as well. And, and again, the reason why we want to be patient is because this is living worthy of the calling that is ours in Christ. H.M. Stanley was an author, and he went to Africa to find David Livingston, the great missionary. And he was going to write on him, and he found him, and he spent time with him. And one of the things he said about Livingston was, and I'm not recommending this to us, but he said Livingston never spoke to him about Jesus. Livingston never spoke to Stanley about Jesus. But Stanley would later write, and this is what he said, when I saw that unwearied patience, that unflagging zeal, those enlightened sons of Africa, I became a Christian at his side, though he never spoke to me one word. We are to live worthy of God's calling on our life because people are observing, people are watching us, and hopefully as they see us, it points them to the Lord Jesus. So living worthy means to live humbly, to live gently, to live patiently. Then it says living forgivingly. He says, Paul says, bearing one another, bearing with one another. What that means is being patient so as to forgive one another the faults that we have against each other. Sometimes those faults come by accident. And can I, make a, can I make this suggestion? I think I'm right. I think most of the time we offend people, it's by accident. We're not really trying to offend them. We're not really trying to hurt them. But sometimes it's on purpose. This past Wednesday, I was at a real estate uh, meeting. This is not a joke. This is a true story. I was at a real estate meeting on Wednesday making a presentation. And I'd been to this office numerous times. The broker knew me by name. She even hugged me when I came in. So, you know, I mean, I felt like I had a relationship with them. After I'd finished making the presentation that I normally make, I said, uh, can I share something uh, personal? And they said, sure. she said, sure. There's about 20 people there. And I said, you know, since I was here last, which had been about two years earlier, I said, my, my youngest son died. And I told them a little bit about Shep, and in less than three minutes, you know, I told them a little about Shep. And I said, but here's what I want to encourage you with. I want to challenge you to value your relationships, because you just never know when, when those relationships might disappear, where you might not have the opportunity to, to enjoy that relationship again. And, um, you know, and it was just one of those things. I, I felt led to do that. I mean, I didn't talk about Jesus. I just talked about loving relationships, Yeah. And then I sat down, and everybody else was at a table. I was sitting behind the table, and the realtor in front of me, at some point a few minutes later, wheeled around and said, hey, can I talk to you after the meeting? And I said, sure. And uh, I knew it wasn't about business, you know. But a few more minutes, she turned around. She said, it's not about business. And I said, yeah, I know. And uh, so, but she turns around. So it's, and, and then she sends me a friend request. Long story short, um, her, her son had died two years ago. 
And so as soon as it was over, I, you know, I went up and I had discovered her son's name was John. I said, you're John's mom, aren't you? And she immediately starts crying and, and I start crying and we hug, you know, and, and I spend a few minutes just trying to encourage one another. But this is what she said. She said, my son committed suicide and my son committed suicide because he was bullied his senior year. And he was bullied by his teacher. And, uh, you know, and, and, I, and I just recognized you know, I recognize that in our situation, you know, the death of my son is, you know, there could have been a whole lot harder, you know, it could have been a whole lot harder to deal with and all. But, but, but this is what I want you to hear me saying, and I, and I share that illustration to say, sometimes people really hurt us on purpose. I mean, they really hurt us because they want to, but that, we're different. We're different because we follow Jesus, and he has forgiven us everything so that we might have eternal, immortal life with him in the resurrection. And he has given us everything. And because of that, he, he expects us to forgive even the, the, the hardest things. Aristotle, that great Greek philosopher, uh, said that one of the greatest virtues in life was the refusal to tolerate an insult and to strike back immediately. Jesus said the greatest virtue is to love your enemies. Do good to those who do you wrong? I mean, that's, we can't do that on our own, right? I'm, getting, I'm, I'm, I'm chasing a rabbit. Sorry. I'm spending too much time on this. This, is, this isn't even the message, everyone, all right? So the, the third thing is live united. So he, he kind of goes, Here, here's how we live worthy of the call, all the things we just talked about. And then he says live united. This is the last one. Paul says do your best to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And it reminds me of what Paul said to the church at Rome. Remember what he said? As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. In other words, unity may break, but don't let you be the cause of it. Don't let you be at the center of that, as much as it depends on you. And then being one, being united, being together, so paramount to God, Paul then makes a bunch of oneness statements. Verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. He gives all these oneness statements. He says there's only one body of Christ, one body of Jesus. And that's it, guys. I know we have some guests here, and, and you know, you, you, I don't know what church you belong to. Maybe you don't belong to any church, but you see churches on every corner, and they have different names, and some of them are all black, some of them are all white, some of them are ethnically this or ethnically that, and, and you know, you say, boy, that, that, those Christian people are divided, and, and we are, and we are. We have a, a bunch of diversity among us, but here's the deal. There is only one true church of Jesus, and it transcends all those denominational differences that we have, all those ethnic and racial differences that we have. Those are not even good. Those, those are not, I'm not even sure the other stuff's good, but here's my point. There's only one church, and it is everyone who by faith follows Jesus. So I don't care who you are, where you are, if you love Jesus and follow Jesus, you are a part of the same church that I'm a part of. There's only one body of Jesus. There's only one Holy Spirit. There's not a Holy Spirit that's for the charismatic church. There's one of our divisions in the non-charismatic church. There's one Holy Spirit for both of us. There's only one Spirit. There's only one hope. We all share one hope. We hope in the resurrection. We hope in the, in the return to life after we die and immortality. And not just that, but just we sang about it. What a day it's going to be when, when we, what do we, we ask for, what, what is the song, Michael? We pray for that day of your return, right? I, was, I don't know about y'all, I'm on the front row praying. <laughs> say, God, please, please come back. 
We long for your return. There's only one Lord Jesus. There's only one faith. That's not our individual faith. That's talking about one, one objective faith, that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, rose again, turned to heaven's coming back for us. That's the, that's the one faith that we all share. And there's only one, one baptism. We talked about this last week. We, we define it different. We, we practice it different. But it really, there's only one baptism, and it is the identification or our union with one another in Christ. And then finally, there's only one God, Paul says. So he has all these oneness statements. And, and, and I think the purpose of that is to tell us that here's how you live worthy of Jesus. Guys, you live, we live to be united one to another. And, and if I could use this oxymoron, we, we fight for oneness. We fight to be one. You know, we, we, it, is, it, is, it is so valuable that, that we do all we can to be one. Now, with verse 7, Paul begins, now it's kind of a backdrop, but he begins to talk about Jesus' strategy that I think makes us one, his strategy that brings and secures maturity in the body of Christ and in all of us. In verse 7, he says, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, When he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he descended to the lower parts uh, of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. Now, Paul is most likely quoting Psalm 68 right there. You'll find a very similar passage in there, and it's a picture of a conquering king. So, so let's go back into those days. So when a conquering general or king conquered some army and he comes back, what he does is he marches down this main street of the city. He, he has behind him all the captives, and the captives could either be slaves from the people he defeated, or it could have been the people that he released of his own people that were captive, and he, they're, they're they're parading behind the general, and the general is giving the spoils of war to the people that are there to watch it. So that's the picture that the Apostle Paul is using here in this text. And he says Jesus is like that conquering general. He conquered death. He defeated death. And we're the captives. We're the captives who were once held captive in the kingdom of darkness. Now we belong to Jesus' kingdom. Now we belong to the kingdom of light. So we're the ones that he's taking captive in that, in that text. And, uh, and, and the gifts, Paul says, just like that general gives out gifts, when Jesus descended from heaven to earth to die for us and then returns from earth back to heaven, as he returned back to heaven, he gave us gifts. That's the first verse in, uh, in verse 7, now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. And then he paints that picture of the, the conquering general. And, and so those gifts, are, uh, those gifts are the gifts that Jesus has given us when, we return to, when he returns to heaven. So from here on out, we're going to find this, this strategy for maturity. And it's a threefold strategy. So let me, let me walk us through it real quickly. The part one is of, of God's strategy to mature us is he gave us gifts. He gave us gifts. I just commented on that. That's the first part of this picture. That's the first part of the strategy. When Jesus returned back to, to heaven, what he gave us was, was gifts. And he gave them according to the text. He gave them according to the measure of his desire. Now, I'm not going to talk a lot about this because this is next week's talk, okay? We're going to talk about 
diversity that creates unity. We're going to talk about the gifts that God has given us. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts next week and how that brings unity. But in this particular morning, I have to mention that part of God's strategy is that he's gifted us. All of you have gifts. We'll say more about about that uh, next week. But here's part two of the strategy. He gave us gifts, but here's part two, and this is the thing I want you to note, that he, he gifts the people and then he trains the people. God gives us gifts and abilities, Paul says, but then he gives to us specialized people, gifted people, who are going to train us and equip us. Look at verse 11. And he himself, that is Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So when Jesus returns to heaven, he gives us all gifts, but then he does something special in that he gives us some specially gifted people and, and he calls them apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And, uh, and I think there's little doubt among all Christians who hold to the scriptures, who believe the Bible, that these people were really given for the establishment of the church that was to come, that is us. So for instance, later on, or earlier in this book, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul said, verse 19, I'm sorry, Ephesians 2, 19 and following, Paul said, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone, in him the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. So Jesus is the cornerstone of all that God is doing, but then he says he took the apostles and the prophets and he used them to, uh, to build the foundation for the church. So these guys, these prophets and these apostles, when there was no New Testament, understand this, there's no New Testament, and there is, no, there is an Old Testament, but it's not, they don't, not everybody's sitting with one in their lap at the synagogue, right? And so there's no Old Testament that's ready available to everyone. You have to go to the synagogue to hear it. There's no New Testament. God speaks with a clarion authority through those men. And those men are laying the foundation for what is going to what we have today. They're laying the foundation uh, of the church. Now some people say since we have the Bible, we don't need prophets and apostles anymore or evangelists or that sort of thing. Mainly prophets and, and apostles, they don't say. Um, and I'm not willing to say that. I'm not willing to say that God doesn't still give us prophets and, uh, and apostles. What I will say is this, though, that if he does, they have to be judged against God's word. They have to be judged what they say against God's, God's word. Evangelists were those who declared the gospel with, you know, evidently with just... Uh, I mean, I think we have some folks who have the gift of evangelist in, in, in our midst. They, they're able to declare the gospel with clarity and in such a way uh, that, that others listen and, and they, they get a hearing. And some people are, have been given to us as pastors and teachers, uh, shepherds. In fact, a person can't be a pastor unless he has the gift of teaching. And so... God has given us these people. Now notice the purpose for giving them to us. Again, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles and prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints. 
Training the saints, if you would. The, the, the reason God gave us these gifted people is their, their main reason for being gifted as such is to help equip the rest of us. The word translated equip there has to do with making complete. Or if you have a broken bone, setting it. In, in medical terminology, they'd use this word to setting a bone. God has gifted the church with men who are going to help equip us or help make the church complete. Remember, sin has scarred us. Sin has messed us up. And so God, has, God comes along and he's, here's his strategy for maturing us. He gives all of us gifts. And then, he, and then he gifts some men and women even. He gifts men and women with these abilities to help equip and train and teach us. Okay? For the purpose of building us up. Paul's, uh, Paul's last word to the church at Corinth is, finally, brothers, rejoice, be made complete. In other words, be equipped is basically what he's saying. God is in the process of making us like Jesus. I don't start off like Jesus, but that's the goal. God wants every one of you who follow him to be like Jesus. And he's giving us a strategy to accomplish that. And the strategy is gifting all of us. And then helping others come along and equip us with those gifts, as we'll just see in just a second. And, uh, and then and I'll, give to, I'll get to the third thing in just a minute. Before I do, though, Paul doesn't tell us how these gifted people train us. But can I look at Paul's life and give you three suggestions? One of them is this is how they're going to train us. Number one, they're going to teach us what to do. Their, their role is going to be one of teachers. And, and equip, whether you're an evangelist, an apostle, or a, a prophet, or a pastor, teach, or a teacher, your, your goal, the way you do that is by teaching us. So Paul says to Timothy in, in one of his letters, he says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul's role as an equipper has been to teach so one of the things they're going to be doing is teaching. To the Thessalonian church, Paul said, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught, whether by what we said or what we wrote. So Paul was teaching by his talking or he was teaching by letters, okay? So this gifted group of people, what they're supposed to be doing is teaching us, teaching us, helping us teach others. But that's what they're doing. They're teaching us. Here's the second thing they do. And for all of you that are teachers, listen. Or if you're a pastor, listen. It says they model, they, they are, I, I'm saying, they, they, this is how they taught us. They modeled what we're to do. Not just telling us with their words, they showed us by their own example what they were supposed to do. And so Paul said to the church at Corinth, he says, imitate me as I, you finish it, imitate Christ, right? Now, most of us that are teachers, we don't like to say that. Because we know our own failures, we know our own flaws, we know those our shortcomings, so we don't like to say that. But I'm telling you, this gifted group of people, their job is to say, follow me as I follow Christ. They're supposed to be modeling for us what we're supposed to be doing. They, they're not just communicating with their words. By the way, if you're a teacher, the goal is not the regurgitation of truth. If you're a teacher, the goal isn't that your people might just know, whoever you're teaching, that their goal, that they might just be able to spit it back to you. That's not the goal. The goal is that they might apply the teaching and live it out in their lives. And so part of being this equipper is you're modeling it for others. So let's go back to Jesus' ministry, Paul's ministry, Barnabas' ministry, the early apostles. What did their ministries consist of? If you look at them, it's, it's always the same. They, they had some people that they were living it out in front of, and they were modeling it for them. Now, the last thing is that I wrote down, that I, this is how Paul did it. He coached people. So you teach. You model, 
and you coach. And the coaching is when, when they're no longer with you anymore and they're out there doing ministry, because we haven't got to the third part yet, but when, when they're out there doing the ministry, uh, you're coaching them. You're, you're, write, you're calling them. You're writing them. You're investing in them. So you're influencing them. You're trying to help them do better at their ministry from a coaching standpoint. Here, here's again Paul writing to Timothy. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Until I come, give attention to the public reading and exhortation of teaching. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. And it goes on and on and on, but I'm going to stop there. Paul is coaching Timothy from a distance. He's writing him a letter, and he's saying, remember what I taught you, and he's coaching him and how to do it. That's God's strategy. He gifts you and me. He gifts us all. Then he gives us people who are especially gifted at training us to use our gifts and abilities. And then here's the third part of his strategy, and maybe this is the most important. He gifts people, he trains people, and then he deploys people. What I mean by this is simply that he is sending you out to serve one another and minister to one another and to help each other grow. The strategy for growth is that this is a, is a team effort thing. This is something we're all doing because God has gifted all of us. So verse 11 says, and he said, and he himself gave some uh, as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. The key to maturity is all of us serving and all of us being deployed in ministry. If you follow Jesus for any amount of time and you've been a part of us, we have said this over and over and over again. But Jesus set up his kingdom to be a collective work, a combined effort. It is something that we're all invested in. It is not something that you are supposed to be here participating in, in the sense as a spectator or a listener. Being a part of God's kingdom is you're supposed to be in, as invested in this as I am. And I know that's hard because I'm vocational, right? You're supporting me. You're supporting me to be able to minister full time. But you're supposed to be as invested in the kingdom as I am, even though I'm, I'm vocational. Somewhere along the line, we have lost this perspective and made, made ministry a paid position, somebody's job. But that's not, that's not what it's about at all. The truth is, you know, vocational ministry is not supposed to be a job at all. It's supposed to be the church supporting me so that I can devote myself to ministry. So Peter and Paul and Barnabas and men like that, they were supported by the church, but they didn't have enough to support them. So you know what they did? They had to be bivocational. We call it bivocational today. So Paul would go to Corinth, and what would he do? He'd find the tent makers, and he'd set out making tents because that was his trade. Why? To support himself. But, but his whole heart was invested in ministry. I'm grateful for the privilege of being supported by you all. So I don't have to work at Dominion or I don't have to work in the shipyard. I'm grateful for that. That I don't have to work for the money that Ann and I need to live on. But, but I'm telling you, somewhere along the line, we've missed it because ministry is as much your responsibility as mine. And you're to be invested in the kingdom work as much as me. And you've been gifted just like me to do, to bring about the maturity of the body of Christ by you being deployed, by you ministering to one another. And so that's what we've got to do. Or, or you know, if it's not the vocational thing, we also, we begin to think that ministry is just for the, it's just for the extroverts. 
and those really gifted people, right? It's not, it's, not, it's not at all. It's all of us. All of us need to be deployed in ministry. Remember what I'm talking about. I'm saying that here's God's strategy for maturity, and as we practice it, what results is unity in the body of Christ. Why? Because we're all in this together, and we're all growing together because we're all investing in one another. So here's my rhetorical question. You know, I like to ask them a lot. Here's my rhetorical question, and I'm asking you to ask yourself this question. Where are you serving? Where is your ministry? What is your ministry? What is your gift? Where are you deploying your gift? Are you deploying your gift? Man, there's a lot of questions to ask yourself, not just one, isn't it? But it's a theme, right? I'm giving you a rhetorical theme to ask yourself. What, 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 where am I, where am I ministering? Where, what, what's my responsibility? Because this is how we mature. This is how we have unity. We're all invested in this together. In chapter 2 of the same book, again, Paul says, We are the work of God created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So God's, God's already got things for you to do, for every one of you. There are things that God wants you to do. And we, we shouldn't try to rate them as this is the most important or this is the most. In fact, one of the things we'll talk about next week is Paul says, Sometimes the things that nobody sees are the most important of all, Right? And we, we, tend to, we tend to categorize gifts as the gifts that are up here. These are the most important, you know. I can't see my heart, but Chuck's, Chuck's a great example that, you know, your heart's really, really important even though you can't see it, right? So, uh, so all of us have a part to play in this. So I'm trying to skip ahead a little bit. So that's, that's God's strategy. What's the goal? Let's, let's, let's finish by at least looking at the goal. In verse 12, here's the goal of all of you and me, all of us together, serving by ministering to one another, by using our gifts, being trained to use our gifts, deploying our gifts. Here, here's the goal, verse 12. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing in maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, but by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth of love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, that is Christ. So here's the goal, the building up of the body of Christ. And just like, just like a minute ago when we talked about unity and we said, what does it look like? Well, the oneness statements. He's got like three statements here. Here's what the body built up looks like. We're united in faith. We're united in, in, uh, in our understanding of Christ dying for us. We're united in that faith. We all hold it together. This is, this is what a grown-up body, a mature looks, body looks like. We're united in our faith in Jesus. Number two, we have a deep knowledge of Jesus. It says, and in the knowledge of God's Son. That's verse 13. There's two words in Greek for knowledge. One is a superficial knowledge. One's a deep knowledge. This is the deep knowledge word. He says, you know, hey, we're, 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 we're united in this deep understanding of who Jesus is. How does that come about? Because you teachers use your gifts. Because we, we teach one another. We, we equip one another. That, that's how we become united in the deep knowledge of Jesus, by teaching one another. Then he says the, the, the body built up is a, has a mature character like that that belongs to Jesus. I love that statement. Growing into the maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. What that means is this. So, so if we're going to be mature and look like Christ in our character, it means that we're going to be a church that's loving. Let's take the fruit of the Spirit that's got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
I mean, that's not harsh. What are the things we already talked about? Hum humility, right? So if we're going to be a church that has the full measure of Christ's character, that's what we're going to look like. How do we get there? By you using your gifts, by encouraging one another, by taking your gifts and exercising them in the context of, of this body, but exercising outside of this body as well. So many of your gifts are not meant to be used necessarily within the confines of our family, but you're a representative of our family out there. So those of you that use your gifts to serve in Christian outreach or, or, or the, the, a life, the life ministries or whatever it might be, you know, those, those, that's you de deploying your gift and bringing maturity to our church family where we have the character of Christ. Confident in truth is the next one. Look at verse 14. And then we will no longer be little children tossed by waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow up in every way into, the, into him who is the head, that is Jesus. So we all serve. We become confident in God's truth as we do this. And that's what a, a mature body looks like. That's what a grown-up church looks like. It's, it's we're confident in truth. Now, again, I want you to put yourself back in Paul's day, and here's what happened. So you're the city, and this one teacher comes in, this next teacher comes in, and this next teacher comes in, and he brings a different teacher, and every, I mean, a different teaching. And every time somebody comes in, you're just following this guy and following that guy. So we see it in 1 Corinthians. Some say, I'm of a Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of uh, Peter, right? So they were, they were following different teachers. Fortunate for us, we have the Word of God, right? We have the Word of God. But the mature body of Christ is one who's confident in the truth of God's Word. We're confident in the apostles' teaching that the Bible is the Word of God, and from there we gain truth and authority. In the end of this text, I know I've preached a long time. I'm he ends this text with uh, verse 16. In the ending, in the last verse, having said, here's the goal, he says, uh, here's the goal, being a mature body of Christ, here's what it looks like, all the things we just said, a mature character, a deep knowledge of Jesus, being united in faith, confident in the, I think, in the word of God would be an application of that. But then he gets to the last thing, and the last thing he tells us how this is going to come about. Here's what he says in verse 16. He says, From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Now, some people don't like the word synergy. I particularly do like the word synergy. I think it explains how God works. In this verse, it tells us that the reason this is going to come about is because Jesus is providing all of this for us. Look at verse 16 again. From him, the whole body fitted and knitted together uh, by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up. So it's, it comes from God. God is the, God is the, the one who's, got, who's given us the gifts. It's God's grace. It's God's work in us. But at the same time in this text, it says we're built up by, the work, by his work, but by the proper working of each individual part. And there's where the synergy comes in. God is working, but you must also do your part. You must also work the works of God. From Jesus, the whole body gets what it needs to promote itself. That's what God does. But then we do our part as well, exercising our gifts and serving and living out God's call on our life. To the church at Philippi, he says much the same thing. Here's what he says. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, 
Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. Work it out in your life. I've told you the story about how the guy who discipled me said, here, Jimmy, I, I, here's what that verse means. You know, in me is to run five, a five. Some of y'all run that hog jog thing the other day, right? I couldn't run a block, much less a kilometer, much less five kilometers, right? But you know what? I think somewhere inside of me is a 5K, but I'd have to really, don't laugh, Richard. I think really there is some 5K in there. But I mean, I'd really have to work it out to ever run a 5K, right? So I think that's what he's saying. He said, this, is what my, this is what the brother told me. He said, Jimmy, this is what this means. God has saved you. Now work it out. Let that salvation work itself out through your life. But then Paul continues, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. So there's a synergy there. I'm working, God's working. And, and, and this is what I think God desires of us. He desires for me and you to to work out our salvation, work out our spiritual gifts in the body of Christ so that I might mature, you might mature, so that we all might mature together as the people of God. I want to invite you uh, this morning um, to step up to the plate and to quote my son Shep and do you. Do you under the leadership of King Jesus. However God has created you and gifted you. You say, well, Jim, I don't really know what my gifts or my abilities are. Well, that's a good start. It's a good start. I don't know what they are. Next week, we'll talk about how you definitely have them. Use your gifts, find out your gifts, be equipped, and then, and then deploy yourself in ministry. Serve so that the body of Christ might be built up. I want to invite you to stop thinking so small, like your contribution doesn't matter. Your contribution does matter. I don't care how small it is. I don't care what you, if you're serving King Jesus and the body of Christ, your contribution matters. I want to invite you to stop being so self-focused and so self-absorbed and, and start serving. Start finding ways to serve. The Merv Griffin Show years ago had a bodybuilder on there. And uh, in the interview, Merv asked him, he says, now why do you develop these particular muscles? And the bodybuilder took his shirt off and got up there and flexed his muscles. And, uh, and Merv said, no, no, no. He said, why do you develop this particular muscle right here? And again, the bodybuilder flexed that muscle. And he said, no, you're missing my point. He says, what do you use that muscle for? And again, the bodybuilder, confused, flexed the muscle again. In other words, the muscle was nothing but there for show, Right? Nothing but for show. He couldn't have an answer. I'm not, I'm not building that muscle for anything other than and to show. You know, um, we talked this morning about iron sharpening iron. In our, in our discipleship group this morning, we talked about developing your personal time with the Lord. You know, we shouldn't be doing any of those things for show. We shouldn't be doing any of those things just to be able to flex our spiritual muscle and say, look, look at me. I had my quiet time this week. Look at me. I read my Bible. Look at me. I did this, this. It should be, I'm flexing, I, I am developing those spiritual muscles so that I might serve the body of Christ, so that we might all be one. Let's bow our heads. So just with your head bowed and your heart inclined towards the Lord, just let me give you an opportunity to take a moment just to think on these things.
And that, that rhetorical group of questions I asked, you know, are you, are you invested in the maturity process, the, the strategy that God has given us to grow the body of Christ, which is all of us invested, all of us working, all of us serving, using our gifts so that the body might mature? Are you invested in that? If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be. So just in the quietness of these next 30 seconds or so, just... You talk to God about whatever he's talking to you about. In fact, let me, let me interrupt you and interrupt, my, interrupt this and just say, hey, ask God, God, what do I need to do about this? What's next? What, what do I need to do to, to respond to you this morning in this talk? God, thank you for making us one. Thank you for making us uh, a, a unity. Thank you for making us family. And I pray, Lord, that we would continue to mature each other by using our gifts and abilities to strengthen each other, to equip one another, to, to serve uh, your kingdom and to serve you. And we thank you for this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Be blessed.